Matthew 22, 1 to 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go into the street corners and invite to the banquet Anyone you find. So the servants went out and gathered all the people they could find, the good and the bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Matthew 22, 1 to 14. Thanks, Matt. That was, uh, that was great. <clears throat> uh, no need to be concerned, Caleb. Uh, I've got a bottle here that you can't spill all over the table. <laughs> so um, let's pray, and then we will uh, think about God's Word. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us this day, that we can come here, we can hear your Word, we can worship you, we can encourage each other, and now we can think about your Word. Please pour your Holy Spirit out amongst us as we think. Please convict us. Please encourage us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 924 days ago, my life changed forever. When I went to sleep that night, nothing would ever be the same. 
And that's because 924 days ago, I got married. I had my wedding. I can remember basically everything like it was yesterday. I can remember looking at Cassie, my wife, as she was walking down the aisle. I can remember standing there as we were singing songs, thinking to myself, I'm about to get married. I can remember us making our vows as we actually got married. And I can particularly remember our photographer somehow missing our first kiss as husband and wife and to us having to sneak back into the church once everyone had left and kind of posing for a second first kiss. It was a great day. But as I reflected on it, I realised that the reception was actually better than the ceremony itself. And that was because once we were there, we could just enjoy being husband and wife, just enjoy celebrating together. Unfortunately, though, we had to be picky about who we invited along to the reception. We had to put a big long list down and kind of knock names off. It was quite an exclusive event. And so unfortunately, not many people here were there. Uh, Not because I don't like you, but because I wasn't attending this church at the time. But nevertheless, you weren't at my wedding reception. But to be honest, you probably don't particularly care, do you? You say, oh, it doesn't matter. It would have been nice to be there, but it doesn't matter that I wasn't there. But what if I told you about the food that we had there? Amazing roast chicken and potatoes. What a way to start a wedding. I'm sure if I tell you that, you kind of wish a bit more that you were there to get to eat that food. Or what if I told you about the speech that Cassie gave, where she told everyone about the time I asked her for one of her hairs to use to floss my teeth. (laughs) Telling you that, you probably wish even more that you were there to hear that amazing wedding speech. Or what if I told you, if you were there, you got to see me dance. Now, I never dance. I'm about as graceful as a hippopotamus. And so this was quite an unusual event. You got to see the spectacular event that was me dancing our first dance. I'm sure telling you that, you absolutely wish you were there just to see me making a fool of myself. You wish you, I bet you wish you were there on that amazing, wonderful day of celebration, on that incredible wedding day. And do you know what? That's what heaven is like. Heaven is like a giant wedding reception. That's what we see in Matthew chapter 22. Have a look at verses 1 to 2. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Have you ever thought about that? Heaven is like a giant wedding reception. But not just any wedding reception, this is the wedding reception of the king's son. A wedding reception beyond anything we could imagine. Heaven is like a wedding feast where instead of chicken and potatoes, our deepest longings are satisfied. Instead of funny speeches, all of our pain and sadness will be taken away. Instead of seeing me dance, we're given eternal peace with God and eternal life. That's what the heavenly feast is like. That's what heaven is like. It's not just about fun and food and dancing. It's about our deepest longings being satisfied. What a wedding to be at. But like my wedding reception, the invitation list is limited. Not everyone will be there. Some will be there, but lots and lots of people will be outside And this matters. If you miss my wedding reception, doesn't particularly matter. But if you miss this wedding reception, 
It absolutely matters. Well, how do, I get a how do I get an invitation then? How do I make sure that I'm at this wedding reception? Well, that's what Matthew chapter 22 is all about. And it's simple. We see how do we get an invitation to the wedding reception? Simple, two things. First, don't be like the ones who had better things to do. And secondly, don't think that we know better. So don't be like the ones who had better things to do and don't think that we know better. That's how we make sure we're at this wonderful, incredible wedding feast. Our story starts off with the ones who had better things to do in verses 1 to 7. The morning of the wedding feast has come. I remember the, the morning of my wedding well. That mix of excitement and nervousness, the kind of weird feeling that it was finally there after all that, that time of planning. And that's where our passage starts off. The wedding day has arrived. Everyone's barely slept the night before. There's butterflies in their stomach. There's excitement in the air. They're running around doing the last little things. And Dad sends out the reminder to the guests. The day is here. Come and celebrate. Verses 1 to 3. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. So the servants go out and they remind the guests. They say, the time's here, come and celebrate. But did you notice the surprising response? The guests refuse to come. How bad-mannered is that? They'd already RSVP'd. They'd already said, yes, I'm coming. But now that the day's arrived, they've changed their mind. They've got better things to do. And so that's bad for anyone. We had people not turn up to our wedding, even though they'd RSVP, and that was quite annoying. But it's even worse if this is the king's son's wedding that you don't turn up to. Imagine if I got an invitation a few years ago to Prince William's wedding. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people lined up outside just to catch a glimpse. Two billion people watched it on TV. But not me. I've been invited inside. I get to bump shoulders with the lords and the ladies and the royalty there. I get to eat whatever it is that they eat. I'm sure it was good. I get to eat off kind of gold-plated cutlery and uh, kind of crystal decanters and stuff. It's like incredible opulence. And best of all, I get to meet the queen. How great would that be? But imagine if instead it got to the morning... I woke up and I thought to myself, I think I'm going to mow the lawn today instead. How ridiculous would that be? Instead of going to the Queen's son's wedding, I'm going to mow the lawn. It's ridiculous, but that's what they're doing here. That's what the guests are doing. But it might sound too ridiculous. It almost sounds too ridiculous, doesn't it? No one would do that. It's just so ridiculous. But remember the context of the passage here. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And time and time again, he's been telling them, I'm the king's son, come to my wedding feast. But they won't, they refuse the invitation. They're just like the people in the parable. They've heard the invitation, but they're not interested. They've got better things to do. As our story continues, we see what the king does next. Uh, if I was the king, I think I'd say, bad luck, miss out then, your invitation's gone. But the king's much more generous than I am. He gives them a second chance. And this time, do you notice what he did? He gave the full sales pitch. He says, the food is there, piping hot. 
The smell of meat is all around in the air. The wine is chilled and waiting. Come and enjoy. Verse 4. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. How good does that sound? Oxen and fattened cattle. It's meat. It's sausages, steak, chops. What more could you want at a wedding feast but meat? It's the perfect wedding feast. And so surely they won't refuse the invitation. Now, surely they will come along now. But they don't. Verse 5. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. They've got better things to do. One guy's off to his field to milk his cows. Another guy's off to his tax account firm to do tax returns. What ridiculous things to miss a king's wedding for. It's different if they said, sorry, my mother is sick, I'd love to come, but I need to care for her. It's not like that. He said, it's not urgent. These are just kind of mundane, everyday things. Surely your tax returns can wait. Surely milking the cow can wait one day. Even worse than that, some of them don't just snob the invitation. They turn violent. Verse 6. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. How crazy to kill the servants just because they're bringing an invitation for you. It's ridiculous. And again, it seems almost unbelievable. It seems like it's so stupid that no one would do it. But remember who Jesus is talking to. These are the Pharisees, the Jews. Time and time throughout their history, God sent messengers and servants with an invitation to come to my kingdom. And time and time again, they beat up these messengers, the prophets, and killed them. They killed the messengers just for bringing an invitation. That's them. Jesus is saying to them, you are these guests. This is you. You've ignored the invitation. That's what he's saying to them. So what are the consequences then? What are the consequences of having better things to do? Verse 7. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. The king's got steam coming out of his ears. He's just boiling over with anger. And so he sends his army to destroy them. What a strange thing to do when people don't turn up to your wedding. We had people not turn up to our wedding. Uh, I didn't go and put proceedings on hold, go and gather an army and take my army out and destroy those people for daring not to come to our wedding. What a strange thing to do. Why does the king respond like this? Well, it's because being at this wedding absolutely matters. It doesn't matter whether people are at my wedding, but it absolutely matters if people are at this wedding. See, there's life and death consequences for being at this wedding, severe consequences. And this is a foretaste of what happens. We see in history that the Jews, their city was destroyed in 70 AD. They were attacked and sacked. So this is a bit of a foretaste. But even their city being destroyed and even their city being burned is nothing compared to the kind of eternal consequences that will happen afterwards. See, it it means calamity and disaster for anyone not at this wedding. Those who have better things to do will face the consequences. And so at this point in the story, we see though many are invited, few will be at the wedding. 
in verses 8 to 14, we then see the next group of guests, and particularly one guy, the guy who thinks he knew better. As the story continues, we see that the king responds to all his guests being rejected, and his response is that he's going to go and throw open the doors and invite everyone in. Have a look at verses 8 to 10. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. See, there's so many there that the whole hall is filled up. But did you notice what's interesting about the guests? They're both the good and the bad. It's everyone. See, it's the dirty, smelly, homeless guy, along with the respectable, upstanding judge. It's the con artist who rips off old ladies, along with the guy who donates his time and money to charity. It's the bad, along with the good. Everyone is invited. See, it's not about being worthy or deserving of an invitation. It's about the king being generous and inviting people in. This invitation goes to everyone. But even though there's no limits on who's invited in on this invitation, there's still expectations on how to respond. And that's what we see in the kind of strange bit that follows afterwards. Have a look at verses 11 to 12. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. So the trumpets blare, the soldiers stand up tall. The crowd hushes in expectation as the king enters. He walks in and his eyes scan over the crowd and light in on someone. He comes up to him. Where's your suit? How did you get in here? Imagine being this guy. You know this is not good. The king lights on you and comes up to you. This is not good. It's like when we're kids and we did something we knew we kind of shouldn't have done and your parents catch you in the act of doing it. There's no excuse you can give that's going to satisfy them. You know that you're in trouble. That's this guy. And so he's speechless. And so that's what happens. But I don't know about you, but I find this particularly weird. Why does the king get so unhappy at him? Of course he doesn't have clothes. He just came in off the street. His suit is back at home. Why does the king expect him to have a suit when he's come off the street? It just seems weird. Why does the king get so unhappy? Well, it's an issue because it's an insult to the king. It's saying to the king, you, I know what you think, but I know better. You want me to wear a suit, you want me to wear wedding clothes, but I'll come how I am and you'll accept me like that. What an insult to the king to think he knows better than the king, the host of this wedding feast. I was at a wedding once and I saw a guy in shorts and a t-shirt at a wedding. I was quite shocked, uh, not because I don't like shorts and a t-shirt. I love shorts and a t-shirt. I wear them most of the year, even in winter. But I was shocked because this was a wedding. There's expectations on what you wear to a wedding. You don't wear your shorts on a t-shirt to a wedding. You wear a suit. And it was so insulting to the host. What's he saying to the host? I don't care what you think. I know better. That's what this guy's doing. He's telling the king, I don't care what you think, I know better than you do. 
And that's insulting, that's offensive, isn't it? And on top of this, it also shows us that he's just in it for himself. He doesn't care what the king wants, he's just there for the food and the fun and the dancing. He's there for himself and not for the king. What an insult to the king. And so how does the king respond then? Well, we see it in verse 13. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what happens? He's tied up, he's thrown outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's just language for great distress, great sadness. Um, It's not a pleasant place. See, the consequences for thinking he knows better is that he misses out on having his deepest longing satisfied. He misses having his pain and sadness taken away. He misses eternal peace with God and eternal life. Being inside this wedding feast matters. See, those outside of my wedding reception weren't weeping and gnashing their teeth, but those outside this wedding reception will be. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something that doesn't particularly matter. It absolutely matters if we're in this wedding reception. And so again, we see though many are invited, few are chosen. So that's the parable, that's the story that Jesus tells. But what does it mean for us? I think the key lies in verse 14, which is a bit of a summary verse. Have a look. For many are invited, but few are chosen. See, that's what we've seen the whole way, isn't it? Many are invited, but few are chosen. The invitation goes out to so many. All of the Jews, all of the original guests are invited. And then the invitation goes, they're invited multiple times, aren't they? It then goes out to the others. The doors are thrown open. Everyone's allowed in. Everyone's invited in, both the good and the bad. Many are invited. But although so many are invited, not many are chosen. The king decides who's in. Some aren't chosen because they had better things to do. And some aren't chosen because they thought they knew better. Many are invited, but few are chosen. So then, how do I make sure I'm one of the few? How do I make sure I'm one of the few who are chosen? How do I know if God the King has chosen me for his heavenly feast? Well, I know if I'm chosen, if I'm not like the people in the parable. I know I'm chosen if I'm not like the people who think they had better things to do. And I know I'm chosen if I'm not like the guy who thought he knew better. That's how I know if I'm in, if I'm one of the chosen. If I come to the king on his terms, if I don't think I know better. And what great terms these are. What incredible terms. Because notice, the king doesn't demand a gift. Did you notice that? He doesn't ask anything back. He doesn't ask for any price to get in. People are just allowed in for nothing. How can that be? How can he allow people to come in for nothing? Well, it's because that his son, the the groom, has already paid the price for those who come in. His son, Jesus, came down and lived a perfect life, died in my place and then rose to conquer death so that I could get in without having to pay anything, without having to contribute anything. And so now all I need to do is come with open hands, 
come to the king and accept this incredible gift on his terms, accept this incredible invitation on his terms. I just need to make sure I don't think I know better. Many are invited, but few are chosen. And we become one of those few by not thinking we have better things to do and not thinking we know better. Sadly, I know people just like this. I'm sure you do too. I've got friends and family and work colleagues who are just like this. It makes me weep inside that there's people in my family that I can picture exactly like this. Uh, Two in particular spring to mind. Uh, One of them died last year. I desperately hope that she's at the wedding feast, that when I go to the wedding feast, I'll meet her there and that we'll rejoice together and we'll celebrate this incredible wedding feast. That's what I desperately hope. But deep down in my heart, in my heart of hearts, I suspect that she's not. And that's because whenever I tried to talk to her about it, whenever I talked to her, she always seemed convinced that God would accept her on her terms, that God would accept her because she's a good person, that she'd been good enough for God to let into the feast. See, ultimately, she thought she knew better than the king. She thought that she knew better than the king. What makes it even worse is that she went to church her whole life. So I did the math. She went to church every week for about 80 years, which means that she went to church approximately 4,000 times. 4,000 times the invitation came to her, come to the wedding feast. 4,000 times she heard of this free invitation to come with open hands, not having to pay anything. But 4,000 times she decided that she knew better. She knew better than the king. Many are invited, but few are chosen. And there's another person I can think of that's pretty similar. Uh, his issue, though, was that he thought he knew better, that he had better things to do. So again, I'd try and talk to him about it, and he was just busy with other stuff, busy with life. He would love playing golf, love working out in the workshop at the back of his house, loved his family, all good things, but just had better things to do. Again, he went to church for most of his life, so again, around 4,000 times or so. So 4,000 times the invitation came to him. The wedding feast is ready, come and enjoy. And 4,000 times he decided he had better things to do. But you know what? A week before he died, he finally realised he, he didn't have better things to do. He realised that this was the most important thing to do, that this was the most important thing to do in his life. There's nothing better to do. And so for just a week before he died, he accepted the invitation. And so that means when I die and I go to heaven and I go to this great feast, I'll meet him again. And we'll be able to rejoice. It will be quite an incredible reunion to get there and to enjoy each other's company as we're with the king celebrating. What an incredible wedding feast that will be. We'll meet again where our, at the feast where our deepest longings are satisfied. At the feast where our pain and sadness is taken away. At the feast where we're given eternal peace with God and eternal life. Words can't describe how great it will be to meet again. Many are invited, but few are chosen. What are we in it for? We must be clear on our answer. There's no room for self-deception. 
do I think I know better than the king? Or do I think I have better things to do? Am I one of the few? For many are invited, but few are chosen. I'm going to pray and ask God that he would help us to be one of the few who are chosen. Let's pray. Dear incredible King, we thank you that you've opened up your doors, that you invite us in, both good and bad. We thank you that we don't need to pay or contribute anything, that you have paid it all, and now all we need to do is come with open hands. Please help us not to think that we've got better things to do. Help us to realise that this is the most important thing, that there is nothing better. And help us to not think that we know better than you. Help us not to think that we can contribute, that we can, um, we can get into your, your party by, um, by our own deeds. But instead to know that you've thrown them open freely and all we need to do is accept that incredible invitation. Please work in our hearts and help us to not think we know better and not think we have better things to do. Please help us to be one of the few who are chosen. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to...